Hello listeners, I am your host C. Mary Haltman and I would like to welcome you to the first episode of our podcast Storytellers, brought to you by the Guild. Our aim is to entertain you every week with either one or two stories from various writers and in various genres. Our music that you hear is provided by Katarina Urenius and artwork is by Amanda Jan's daughter Bisset. If you like what you hear, please visit the homepage of our authors, buy their books and share our podcast. You may find all links in the show notes. On this first episode, we have two tales of the weird and horrific from author Tim Mendes, read by Tim himself. Tim Mendes is a horror writer from Macclesfield in northwest of England that specializes in cosmic horror and weird fiction. He has had over 50 stories accepted for publication in anthologies and magazines with publishers all over the world and has two novellas, Miracle Growth from Black Hair Press and Burning Reflection from Madison Press coming soon. When he's not arguing with the spell checker, Tim is a goth DJ, crustacean, encephalopod enthusiast and the presenter of a popular web series of live video readings of his material. He is also the host of The Guild After Hours, where he interviews various authors in a more relaxed, pub-like setting. He currently lives in Brighton and Hove with his pet crab, Gerald, and an army of stuffed octopods. The stories that Tim will be reading today are The Metamorphosis Cube from the anthology Death and Butterflies from Suicide House Publications, and what the butler saw from the anthology 2020 from Black Hair Press. Both of these books are available to buy and the links are in the show note. Now, sit down by the fire and enjoy. House. Noun. A hollow edifice erected for the habitation of man, rat, mouse, beetle, cockroach, fly, mosquito, flea, bacillus, and microbe. Anything with more legs than a dog or cat was a complete anathema to Rebecca Brown. Ever since she was a child, she possessed a strong and violent revulsion for creepy crawlies of all shapes, colours and sizes. Even a pretty little ladybird would elicit an extreme reaction from the young estate agent. Rebecca's dislike partially stemmed from an incident that took place on a family holiday in Australia. She was playing in the spacious garden with her two brothers when she desperately needed to answer a call of nature. She raced across the lawn to the dunning. She rushed inside and slammed the door, hitched up her floral summer frock, dropped her drawers and lifted the lid. Her parents had diligently drummed the importance of checking the seat for unwelcome visitors into a young head and it was a good job too. Sitting under the seat with its forelegs raised and its fangs primed was the biggest brute of a spider she had ever seen. Rebecca fled the wooden outhouse, screaming blue murder with her frillies around her ankles. If that incident alone wasn't enough to put her off bugs for life and give her arachnophobia to boot, then the endless parade of beetles and woodlice that her brothers popped down her dresses certainly did. It wasn't just a phobia of scuttling things with many legs that led Rebecca to terminate them with extreme prejudice. 
He went beyond that, far beyond. Rebecca seemed to take a perverse pleasure in killing creepy crawlies that bordered on the sadistic. Crushing their tiny bodies made her feel omnipotent, like a god. If she was in a particularly foul mood, she would actively seek out the lurking creatures, then batter them into oblivion with the slipper that she kept especially for the job. Most people grow, grow out of the impulse to pull, pull legs off spiders and wings off flies when they get older, but not Rebecca. Few things alleviated the tensions and frustrations of her busy life, like taking a magnifying glass to a line of ants or a pair of scissors to a big juicy worm. Rebecca was good at her job and made a small fortune on commission alone. So when it came time for her to buy her own house, she set her sights on something grand. She desired an escape from the city of Truro. She spent most of her days stuck in the city's traffic, dealing with its often frustrating denizens and showing them around various dilapidated properties. She had seen enough houses in Truro and knew enough of the myriad problems to know that she wanted something a little more rustic. A few months of searching, she found the perfect place, a barn conversion on the outskirts of a small town called Bettles Cove. It was close enough to Truro that getting to work wouldn't be a problem. And due to certain circumstances, the price was more than favourable. The house had, until recently, been the home-come studio of a talented yet troubled artist. The artist had tragically taken his own life earlier in the year, and none of the superstitious locals would touch the now-haunted house with a barge pole. Rebecca had no fear of ghosts, especially when a large saving could be made, and she snapped the property up in a flash. After moving in, she found the property to a liking and a great improvement over the shoebox she had previously rented above, ironically a shoe shop. There was one problem, however. The place was simply teeming with life. Insect life. She should have expected it. The house was ancient and situated in the middle of a dense patch of woodland, so it was bound to play home to a wide variety of creatures. Rebecca's dislike of bugs reached an all-time deadly high as she took it upon herself to attempt single-handedly to exterminate all bug life in the area. Rebecca deployed all of the killing devices at her disposal. She installed UV lamps that zapped moths and flies. The house was regularly doused and attacked with an array of sprays and powders, bleach and heavy-duty vacuum cleaners. She even took an electric tennis racket device outside on sunny days and hunted down any delicate butterfly that dared to trespass on her property. But nothing gave her more pleasure than the slipper of doom. She had possessed, she had possessed it since childhood. Her holocaust had been so merciless and successful that after a month of her brutal purge, the spacious barn conversion was free of any signs of life except her own. There was not a cobweb to be seen, and she had installed fly screens and sealed up every gap in the plaster that she could find. The slipper still took up pride of place under the coffee table, however, just in case. One Saturday morning in late September, the day after her 26th birthday to be precise, Rebecca was sleeping off the impromptu party her colleagues had thrown for her when a persistent knocking on the door broke her slumber. Every knock hammered into a delicate skull and sent her guts sloshing like a wave tank. She managed to call out a week, just a minute, 
then slipped out of bed. Her legs had turned to jelly and she stumbled around dizzily before locating and throwing on a bright pink dressing gown. She shuffled mechanically through her living room to the front door, standing at the door wearing a big breezy smile on his ruddy features with the low sunlight reflecting off his bright red jacket was Harry, the local postman. Morning, Miss Brown, he grinned. Have a good night last night? Ugh, Rebecca groaned, from what I can remember. Any occasion or just Friday night fever? Harry chuckled loudly enough to send barbed wire pain sh shooting through Rebecca's head. It was my birthday yesterday and some of the guys from work dragged me out clubbing. She whined, deeply regretting going along with her plan without more of a fight. I should have just come home and ordered a pizza. Harry laughed. <laughs> Here, he said, handing her a square package. I need you to sign for this, then you can go back to bed. Rebecca took the box and looked at it slightly puzzled. She didn't record her ordering, recall ordering anything online recently. She shrugged and attempted an impressively shaky signature on the touchscreen device Harry held in his outstretched hand. After bidding Harry a weary good morning, she gently shut the door and shuffled over to the sofa. Before opening her surprise parcel, she gave it a tentative shake. It sounded and felt solid and heavy. She reached for a pair of nail scissors and began to slit the sticky tape that held the parcel together like a cocoon. She peeled away the plain brown wrapping paper to reveal another layer of paper. This paper screamed happy birthday at her in an explosion of garish colors that made her jaded eyes sting. Between both layers of paper, was a rectangular envelope emblazoned simply with her name in a distinctively crabbed script. Putting the box aside for a moment, she tore over the envelope with her with a chipped red nails. Inside was a high quality glossy card. It didn't have any of the expected age jokes or jokes about drunken women. What it had on it made her blood boil. The card was simply a beautifully shot picture of a ladybird. Whoever sent the package obviously didn't know very well. The card simply read, happy birthday, Rebecca. Wishing you good luck in your future endeavors, A.E. This asked more questions than it answered. Rebecca racked her aching head, but for the life of her, she couldn't figure out who A.E. was. None of the people in her life had those initials. And they were written clearly enough on the card so as not to have been mistaken for any other letters. Her only thought was that it must have come from a client that she had wrangled a good deal for. Rebecca placed the card face down on the coffee table, hiding the pretty insect, and turned her attention to the mystery present. She tore at the paper, furious ferocity, then sat back, mouth agog, and examined the gift within. Her puzzle ex puzzled expression deepened as she gazed at what appeared to be a bizarre paperweight. The object, the, the object was a precise cube carved from a rock as black as night. The obsidian cube shone with the reflected light from the French windows. It was inscribed with strange symbols and glyphs. It looked like the sort of curio usually found in New Age shops. She placed the item on the table and swept her scraggly brown hair into a bun before returning, the be returning to bed. Rebecca dreamt of that filthy outside toilet in Australia. 
The spider glared at her with cold, accusing eyes. It knew she was a murderer and had appointed itself as judge, jury and executioner. With alarming velocity, the eight-legged Avenger sprung from its hiding spot and landed on Rebecca's dress. It quickly climbed her small frame and sunk its vicious poison-tipped fangs into Rebecca's jugular. Her white frock turned deep crimson and she woke up screaming. Few things are as intense as alcoholically induced nightmares. Rebecca was soaked in pungent sweat, her hair plastered to her pale cheek. She sat up and gulped thirstily at the bottle of water she kept next to the bed. Her mouth felt like the inside of a birdcage. Her saliva was congealed and sticky and clung to the back of her throat like a stubborn membrane. Every sound is somehow amplified when you're hungover and a strange shuffling sound set Rebecca's teeth on edge. She swung her head over the side of the bed and peered below. The sudden movement sent the blood rushing to her head and the room spinning. What she saw pumped, pumped a hefty dose of adrenaline through her veins. Under the bed were hundreds and hundreds of cockroaches. The hissing, scuttling horde scuttled over her clothes and shoe boxes. Rebecca jumped out of bed and raced into the living room. She grabbed the slipper with purpose. She hesitated just a moment. She could have sworn that the strange cube was glowing. She shook her head to clear the cobwebs and shot back into the living room. Racing into the room, her blood pumping with fury and sadistic glee, Rebecca easily shoved the lightweight bed aside and brought the slipper down hard. With a piercing cry of, come here, you little bastards, she thrashed at the small creatures. The rest of the bugs started to scatter, presenting a moving target. She brought the slipper down again and again. Every sickening splat meant more squished carapaces. Rebecca was in a frenzy like a shark that smells that distinctive copper tang of blood. She thundered the slipping down like a woman possessed, but it didn't seem to be of any use. For every cockroach she killed, another two took its place. Eventually, she found herself surrounded by a hissing mass of bugs. The roaches swarmed around her, clicking their mandibles in anger. They started to crawl up her arms and legs. Rebecca slapped and pawed at them, trying to shake them free from her person. Letting out a shriek of fright, Rebecca stood and turned to flee, but her bare foot slipped on a pile of squished cockroach goo, and she pitched forward and smashed her head on the doorframe. Everything went black. Opening her eyes slowly, Rebecca was surprised to find herself in a long, dark tunnel. The walls on one side were stone and the other made of timber. The roof wasn't high enough to stand, so Rebecca picked a direction and started to crawl. Crawling was easier than she remembered, and she quickly made it to one end of the tunnel. A sharp, rhythmic click alerted her to danger. The noise was joined by many more seemingly in response. Fright glued her feet to the floor. She tried not to alert whatever was stalking her to a present location. Dim diffused light poured from a crack or join in the wooden wall, revealing a corner up ahead. As panic surged through her body, the wriggling silhouette of two gigantic antennae appeared on the far wall. 
She watched in horror as a cockroach came shuffling around the corner, a gigantic cockroach. The creature was the size of a small car and hissed in fury as it spotted her. Quickly, she turned and started to crawl for her life in the opposite direction. She made it halfway when she noticed that directly in front of her, another cockroach blocked her path. It just sat there, staring at her, clicking its mandibles menacingly. The one behind her kept coming, so she had to keep heading in its direction. As she was nearly sandwiched, she noticed a crack in the wall. The cockroaches were herding her towards it. With much effort, Rebecca managed to pull herself through the narrow gap and landed on her back on a soft surface, a carpet. She looked around in utter bewilderment. She was in a bedroom, but it was huge. No, it was her that was small. The tunnel had been the skirting board and the crack had been a join that she must have missed on her rampage. As Rebecca tried to get up, she was horrified by the sight of her legs, all six of them. They wriggled frantically as she arched her back and righted herself. She hissed in despair as she made the horrible realisation that she, Rebecca, was now a filthy little cockroach. As she shuddered and panicked and tried to desperately think, to think, a looming shadow spread across the room and eclipsed the light. Rebecca gazed in horror at the monster that stood above her. It was Rebecca. The human Rebecca's eyes danced with an evil malevolence, a sick smile on her lips. In one hand, she clutched the slipper and playfully slapped it against her other. Rebecca the cockroach looked desperately for a hiding spot, somewhere dark and secluded where she could hide from this towering monster. Human Rebecca quickly closed in and was standing directly above her. Come here, you little bastard she cried. The vocal cords were unmistakably hers, but the voices weren't. Thousands upon thousands of insectoid and arachnid voices burst forth from her mouth. These were the voices of the dead, the murdered and exterminated, and they wanted revenge. Rebecca the cockroach made a desperate dash for the skirting board, but her fellows wouldn't let her through the gap. They barred her escape and reveled in what came next. With a swift and decisive motion, Rebecca flattened Rebecca with her well-worn slipper. Nobody ever saw Rebecca after that day. The police searched and searched, but her body was never found. Though local children have reported seeing a dishevelled woman in a filthy pink dressing gown scurrying around in the undergrowth of the local woods, their parents have dismissed it as popular. Jenkins heaved with all his might and finally helped the near comatose Colonel Peterson back onto the edge of the bed. Peterson was drunk as a skunk. All the guests were drunk as skunks. Party season was one that everyone in his line of work dreaded, and this Christmas was living up to all of his worst anxieties. There you go, Colonel. Is there anything else I can help you with? He purred as deferentially as humanly possible under the circumstances. 
After half carrying the 18 stone walrus of a man up two flights of stairs, then nearly blowing his back out, helping him off with his trousers. All he wanted to do was slip quietly back down to the servants' quarters. There he would have a crafty smoke, straighten the kink out of his spine, and calmly await the next disaster. Jenkins, my good chap! Peterson's moustache fluttered. Go and get me a drop of brandy, there's a good fellow. Jenkins rolled his eyes. Very good, sir. He crossed the lavish guest suite to the small bar in the corner and poured a generous measure of the finest cognac from the crystal decanter. He replaced the stopper, swirled the liquid in the glass and returned to his guest. In the brief moment he had been occupied, Peterson had slumped back on the bed and passed out. Jenkins sighed and placed the brandy on the bedside table. The bluff old military man couldn't half snore. It sounded like a man soaring logs. Jenkins swung the man's legs onto the bed and left him to his stupor. Jenkins switched off the light and shut the door on his way out. Oof, he muttered to himself as he straightened his attire. This year had been a trying one, and this party was the icing on the faecal cake. As the distant, hideous sounds of a raucous sing-song around the baby grand drifted up to him, he seriously considered making 1928 the year he sought out other employment. He knew without looking whose clumsy fingers were tickling the ivories. It was his bone-headed master. The tortures of the Spanish Inquisition paled in comparison to the sheer agony of one of his piano recitals. The deluded man was entirely bereft of talent, but convinced that he was up there with George Gershwin. Jenkins sighed again and started his long walk back down to the main hall. Not wishing to jump back into the fray just quite yet, he slowed his footfalls on the plush carpet to a crawl. Ah! Jenkins stopped in his tracks. The unmistakable noise of Rumpy Pumpy firmly grabbing his attention. He looked at the number on the door from where the sound had emanated and quickly rattled off the guest list in his head. Miss Worthington, he muttered under his, under his breath. Cor, she was a corker and no mistake. Jenkins didn't recall seeing her retire with any gentleman friend, but a beauty like that could have any man that she wanted. An internal struggle started to build in the 30-something gentleman's gentleman. He had managed just under a year without so much as a peak. He knew it was wrong. He knew that it was voyeuristic and perverted. But damn, he enjoyed it. The struggle was ultimately lost as he reflected that there weren't many perks to the job and seeing Miss Worthington and flagrante delecto would definitely qualify as a perk. Jenkins rubbed his white gloved hands together and hitched up his trouser legs to avoid splitting his backside when he squatted, da squatted down. Once in position, he pressed his ear to the door. Splendid. It sounded like Miss Worthington and whoever her lucky beau was were going at it hammer and tongs. The young socialite's cries bordered on the painful and the bed creaked under the motion of the activity. Sweat started to bead on Jenkins's forehead 
and his breathing quickened, becoming short and ragged. Ah! That was it. He could stand it no more. He closed his right eye and his hands pressed against the polished oak and he let his left descend to the keyhole. Nuts, he mouthed silently. All he could see was the silk lining of Miss Worthington's elegant jacket hanging on the door handle. Jenkins recoiled from the door, his body trembling with unfulfilled lust. Directing some blood back up to his brain from his nether regions, he tried to think. The sounds from the room continued to build in ferocity. The sounds of flesh slapping flesh and thrashing about an antique fur poster were almost hypnotic. Jenkins patted his jacket and located the fresh taper that he had carried in his pocket. His eyebrows knitted together as he tried to gauge the length of the stiff, wax-coated wick. It was around 12 inches. That ought to do the job. Carefully, he placed the taper in the keyhole pushed it against the jacket. With every extremity crossed that the noise of the falling apparel wouldn't alert the participants in the wild horizontal dance. With a shove and a sharp intake of breath, he knocked the jacket off the handle and quickly withdrew the taper. The next few seconds were agonizing as he held his breath and prayed that he hadn't been detected. There was no slowing down of the coital harmony. If anything, it seemed to continue building towards an ecstatic crescendo. His eye descended once more. It took a few seconds for his eye to adapt to the gloom. The room was lit only by candlelight. It wasn't the best angle to see the bed, but it would suffice. He breathed harder as his eye focused on the shape hanging over the end of the bed. Cripes, he mouthed in titillation. Miss Worthington was bent backwards, her back arched and her nipples pointing up at the chandelier. The feather on her sequin headdress brushed the floor as her body moved back and forth rhythmically. Jenkins bit his lip as his eyes wandered over her body. He couldn't see who she was with. There was just a shadow-clad shape on the opposite side of the bed. A big shadow-clad shape. He looked at Miss Worthington's face. Despite the yelps and moans, her face was completely passive. Her eyes were rolled back in their sockets, revealing only the whites. Blimey! Jenkins mouthed while reaching for his belt buckle. That guy must be hung like a donkey. He looked at the figure again. It seemed to ripple. He squinted harder. Wait, what is that? Is that a tentacle? Hundreds of blazing orange eyes on the bulk of the figure snapped open in an instant. The shape started to bubble and ripple. It was changing, metamorphosing. Jenkins froze with horror. His breathing got louder and louder. His trembling vision settled once again on Miss Worthington's face. Her eyes snapped back to pupils and glared directly at the keyhole. Her lips 
twisting into a cruel smirk. The worst thing about the shock Jenkins received, her eyes too were burning orange. Ah! Jenkins let out a panic scream and fell away from the door. He landed on his posterior and scrambled backwards like an upside down spider. He slammed his back into the wall opposite and tucked his knees under his chin. The sound of a slamming door snapped his head away from Miss Worthington's. What the blue blazes is going on out here? It was the colonel, roused from his slumber by the commotion. Jenkins stared in horror at the sight, standing before him in sock suspenders, stained underwear and no trousers, was a rotund, rotund drunk man with a glass of brandy in one hand and a revolver in the other. Jenkins, Peterson slurred. What the devil's going on, man? Jenkins couldn't speak. He raised a finger to his lips in a plea for silence and pointed a shaky finger at the door. What? What is it, man? Spit it out, damn your eyes! Jenkins shushed him again. This made Peterson's blood boil. His face turned the colour of a boiled lobster and his cheeks puffed out. He stood to attention, tipped his head back. He was about to give the impertinent butler a good roasting when... Ah! The noise halted Peterson in his tracks. Jenkins watched as all the colour on the colonel's face settled into his cheeks and a wolfish grin spread across his lips. You sly old dog, he winked. Come on, let's have a look. Jenkins shook his head and mouth. No. What? Shocking, is it? Jenkins pleaded with his eyes and continued to shake his head. Ah, too much for you, is it? Pison's bloodshot eyes danced with perverse glee. Well, I'm not so easily shocked. I could tell you tales that would turn your hair white. He approached the door and got down on his knees. When I was in India, they have this book called the Kama Sutra, and I tell you what, Peterson was cut off by another shush from Jenkins. Oh, Peterson lowered his voice to a barely audible whisper. Quite right. Put his finger on his lips and grinned. As Peterson lowered his head to the keyhole, Jenkins grabbed him on the shoulder and tried to pull him back. Peterson slapped it away sharply. What the devil is the matter with you, boy? He bellowed in a whisper. It's just a bit of nooky, for heaven's sake. Peterson's eye met the keyhole, and in a split second, his body went rigid. Jenkins scrambled to his feet by sliding his back up the wall, dislodging a priceless Turner seascape as he ascended. Well, I'll be blown, Peterson hissed. That chap is really going for it, what? Jenkins started to back down the hallway in the direction of the stairs. Wait. Is that a, is that, is that a tentacle? Splat! The back of Peterson's head exploded as a rush of steaming gelatinous matter burst into his eye socket. Jenkins nearly fainted, his knees buckled, and he had to steady himself on a tea trolley. The wheels squeaked, 
and the china rattled furiously. The shapeless blob surged over the colonel's body, engulfing him. His bones cracked as the creature devoured him. Jenkins turned to run. His eyes, the eyes appeared on the creature's body, and appendages grew from it organically, seemingly at will. Jenkins ran as fast as he could to the staircase, leaving the creature to finish absorbing the colonel. The party fell silent as the deafening screams of Jenkins preceded him down the stairs. He crashed into the room, knocking two debutantes and a bottle of bubbly crashing to the floor. Ladies gasped in shock. Men grumbled in disapproval. Jenkins screamed. His wiry legs sent him sprinting through the assembled guests, his belt buckle jangling loose and his arms flailing in the air. His master detached himself from the clutches of a drunken dowager just in time to see his butler slam through the front doors and disappear into the night. He shrugged and resumed his canoodling. Jenkins didn't look back once during his flight. He just ran until his legs gave out. The following morning, the assembled guests were shocked by the sudden announcement of the impending nuptials of Miss Worthington and Colonel Peterson. Heads were scratched and tongues started to wag almost instantly. The couple looked happy, like they were already joined at the hip. Everyone was so caught up in the gossip that they failed to notice the foul smell of the pair and a distinct sheen to their skin. Jenkins never returned. He was never heard of again. Some people say he went mad and threw himself off the blasted crag. Some people say he ran off and joined the circus. However, one thing was certain. His master could butter his own crumpets from now on. Thank you, Tim, for those two stories. If you want more from Tim Mendes, you may find him at timmendeswriter.wordpress.com or tinyurl.com slash timmendesyoutube, as well as facebook.com slash goatinthemachine, all one word. Thank you, listeners, for joining us here in the Nook. My name is C. Mary Holtman, and we hope to see you next time on Storytime.